Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Austin Montgomery for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Oakmont Management Group Vice President of Culinary Services, Andrew Moret. The California-based company operates 31 communities in two states. From evolving tastes to rising cost pressures due to lingering supply chain issues, the world of dining and culinary services in the senior living industry is constantly changing. Through promoting leadership development from chefs on down to dining associates, Moret strives to bolster employee recruitment and retention while balancing the unique and changing needs within the senior living dining experience. But I think as, as operators and smart business owners and runners, we need to be aware of what the actual inflation rate is so that we can justify those overages. And then there's still a level of management, I think, of, yes, we're dealing with inflation, but how can we how can we tighten the purse strings and, and still run a smart business uh, so that we can give the best experience to the residents? But before we get to that interview, I would like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. Submissions are currently open. Visit SeniorHousingNews.com for more information on how to enter. Now, here's my interview with Andrew Moret. Vice President of Culinary Services for Oakmont Management Group. Well, Andrew, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate you having on the Transform podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, we'll jump right into it. What's the state of dining operations across Oakmont communities right now? That's a good question. Kind of the, the standard starting question everybody seems to have whenever yeah. <laughs> we're having a conversation in this new world. So I think we're, we're in the new world uh, for sure. Although we've returned to dine, normal dining operations, however possible, we, as in we're you know doing whatever we can to keep our residents safe, but back back to our old models. You know, we've in the past year we've gotten most of our residents back into the dining room. We've gotten away from the in room dining, but now we're dealing with all the challenges that are kind of the aftermath of of all that of of the world returning to normal. So a lot more supply chain issues, a lot more inflation issues. I'm sure we'll get into that down the road. But I'd say the state is we are we are fully in this new world that we're all living in and trying to figure out together. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, as it evolves, uh, there'll be new challenges and new opportunities. And that's uh, just one one way uh, for operators to, to figure those those challenges and, and opportunities out and uh, for us to be able to to make sense of those. So uh, if you want to get into maybe what have been some of those biggest challenges this year, specifically for 2022 for Oakmont communities when it comes to uh, dining operations or just things you think have been big challenges in general this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's been nice in tandem with the challenges that we've taken on is we've gotten away from the constantly changing regulations that were the first year and change of, of the pandemic. So that's allowed us to normalize uh, to a fair extent. I think the challenges that we're dealing with mostly now are staffing, which is obviously a, a nationwide or worldwide issue, as well as supply chain issues. What we've noticed is with it's great that the world is opening, open back up and travels back up and all these things that we all wanted to get back to. But the after effect of that is there's a lot more restaurants that we're competing with when it comes to working with our vendors. So we're dealing with a lot more supply issues. Also with, again, with travel, travel seems to be really hot right now, especially after the 4th of July weekend. So 
in addition to like just being in the hospitality sector, we're dealing with a lot of challenge in, in hiring as well. It seems like every restaurant you go into now is, is short-staffed in one way or another. And part of that is just over market saturation of jobs. And it's a total uh, buyer's market when it comes to the team members. So uh, it's been difficult to um, staff some of the operations as well. We've had to rely on creative ways to remain relevant and kind of put ourselves on the forefront there. So we've had some pretty good success with that. And then in along with staffing, not even necessarily relating to our operations, what we've seen is a lot of uh, staffing issues from some of our vendors. They can't get people to work in the warehouses to pull product. They can't get truck drivers on the road. So kind of having a partner with our vendors as well, hold hands with them, so to speak, as, as they try to solve their issues, as, as we're all also working on some of those challenges ourselves. And do you feel that maybe the supply chain issues have kind of had a cascading effect on other areas just within dining, just specifically impacting, I know you mentioned staffing, but just specifically when thinking about the supply chain issues, do you think it's had some sort of uh, ripple effect, if you will, kind of throughout the year? Absolutely. And it's what's interesting is I've, over the past couple since since the pandemic started, I feel like I've built such a stronger relationship with all of our vendors because open lines of communication are so important right now. And a lot of times it's things that are it's it's a, an aluminum shortage. So we can't get our products in the right type of cans or it's a production issue where they can't get the proper packaging to package their products to to even get it on the shelf. So I'd say a hundred percent there's this ripple effect of these things that we never really even thought of, even out to the produce and the workers in the fields. Obviously, organization coming with a majority of our communities in California, we're such an ag- in such an agricultural land, but they've all been affected as well. Um, and then the supplies that they need to operate. So there's this overarching uh, supply chain issue. I know it's, I know everybody gets frustrated because it seems to be the, the go-to excuse for absolutely everything, um, anywhere you go, anytime. But I think having a little bit of knowledge of how, as you said, overarching that that reaches, where it's not just it's not just the product we're trying to get, it's the the people producing the product, or even even further back than that. So, um, yeah, I think a hundred percent there's this ripple effect or, or butterfly effect of little things that are holding up or uh, suspending the supply chain. And just touching on the staffing challenges, uh, I know that uh, labor is something that has been a sticking point all year for the industry and has been recently for the last few years in terms of when you think about talent retention or talent pool development in terms of getting people into the senior living industry. You want to talk about some of the things just within staffing right now that uh, are either working well for attracting new employees or just some things that you're realizing are sticking points that don't seem to be going away this year when it comes to staffing. One of the things I think that's so been so amazing about this pandemic is we've all had to develop an extreme level of resilience to overcome a lot of these challenges. When it comes to staffing, at first there were just there's just nobody wanted to work because you know there was unemployment, and now we're dealing with a you know a, an employee buyer's market where there's a lot of jobs available, so everybody's really able to pick and choose and negotiate, which is not a bad thing. I think you know especially for frontline team members, it's it's been a struggle over the years to to find a find a position that they wanted to work in where they saw growth, where they saw opportunity for themselves. So back to the resilience, I think that. Because of this, we've had to look at new ways to, to staff, uh, new ways to extend our reach. 
job fairs, not just when a community opens, uh, but constant job fairs, uh, virtual job fairs. Uh, reaching out through social media has been a big one. And I think that, I don't know if I've just noticed it during the time times of the pandemic or if it was prior to the pandemic, but LinkedIn has a really great platform to, to reach new levels of team members as well as gives you badges that you can put on your profile picture if you're looking to work or if you're looking for team members. So, you know, that's that's been huge when it when we're looking for directors as well. Additionally, just kind of investing in our infrastructure to find additional uh, recruiters, field recruiters, um, director level recruiters. We've usually, I feel organizations have a a decent recruiting team, but usually it's for high levels within the organization. And we've had, we've been able to bolster our structure with some, some field recruiters to, to go out and try to really connect with those team members, put on job fairs, reach new networks through social media. Obviously with the millennial generation, the generation Zers coming into the, the workforce, uh, mobile devices and social media is how they get all their information. So having the ability and, and we're still we're still learning it, you know, maybe, uh, you know, technology moves so so fast, and there's always a new, a new thing coming out, but coming up with ways to utilize technology to be uh, more appealing, uh, flexible schedules is is obviously an ad creating an environment that our team members want to work in. And one of the biggest things that I've really been focusing on as you know, running a discipline in, in our organization is trying to cultivate good leaders, really focusing on ways to, I feel like in, in the hospitality industry and in the restaurant industry, there's a lot of uh, stigma with uh, screaming and yelling. And we've all seen Hell's Kitchen and we've all seen these movies that are these Hollywood blockbusters where there's the crazy chef running around. And unfortunately, to some extent, that's, that's true. And I think that a lot of chefs are that have come up in that type of environment struggle with leadership when they step into their roles and uh, working in senior living and just working in really really any industry now you you can't operate like that you sh- it's it's not okay it never really should have been okay and hopefully it's a thing of the past so i've really been trying to invest in our chefs across our organization and try to help cultivate strong leadership from them to to therefore be able to attract and retain their team members. You mentioned in the question retention, and I think that's that's the other key. But people are only going to want to work somewhere where they are, you know, are happy, they feel appreciated, and they feel there's opportunity to grow. And I think we saw during the Great Resignation that people had the mentality of like rather than the mentality that I mean we've all had bad jobs and it was, you know, well I gotta get a paycheck, you know, I'll, I just gotta do this till I can find the next thing. And, you know, a lot of people had the mentality of I'm not gonna work somewhere unless I'm feeling you know, appreciated, or I'm not going to work somewhere unless I'm getting satisfying, you know, my needs as a, as a team member or an employee. So trying to cultivate those environments through, and really, I think it just comes down to leadership and communication. So I think that obviously casting a wider net, trying to find new networks to recruit from, uh, trying to contact a, a wider range uh, showing what the opportunities are from coming aboard the organization. Um, and then at the same time, just really investing in our current team members. And at my level, it's working directly with the chefs to try to cultivate better leadership so that they can in turn, you know, create a healthy work environment that, that people want to work in and enjoy coming to work for. I've been fortunate. I've only had a handful of jobs that I really didn't enjoy for the most part. 
most of my jobs, I've, I've loved going to work every day. Every day I wake up now, I'm so happy to be a uh, part of this organization and show up to work every day. And I, I want all of our team members to feel the same way. I want them to be excited to go to work, go to work to build their network of friends, but also feel good about what they're doing and feel that they're actually not only just contributing to something. One of the great things of senior living is we have the ability to actually make an impact on somebody in their vulnerable end years of their life. But additionally, I want our team members to just feel like they are not just contributing to our seniors, but just contributing to a bit better cause and so that they can move forward and, and turn it forward as they move into management or leadership roles themselves. I think referencing that bit you had talked about in terms of training and cultivating leadership among your chefs at various communities is really interesting. Have you seen success with that recently? Um, what are some things um, that you have seen come out of that so far? Or is it still too early uh, in the stages to really have any sort of results? I would love to know just a little bit more before we move on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think when I'll share something that I've been doing and when I, so when I was, I feel like I was fortunate enough when I stepped into me and I, I had my hurdles along the way. But when I stepped into the management, uh, one of the first things I realized was it was important to learn how to manage everybody a little bit different. So I thought due to that, I had a lot of success in building teams and I had a lot of retention. So I thought I was an excellent leader. Um, and I thought that leadership books or blogs or podcasts were for you know people that just didn't quite have it. And then I hit a point in my career where I realized that you know, we should always be learning and we should always be trying to be better, be a better leader. And so I, you know, have a bookshelf now full of leadership books and I listen to leadership podcasts all the time. And, you know, I spend a lot of my time really working on that because I feel like I'm investing in myself. And if I can find ways to be a better leader for my team, then I can pass it along to them. So along with that, there's so many great people that are writing leadership books or hosting podcasts or, you know, what have you out there. Um, you know, Ted does a really great job of creating content that is is not only like easily digestible, uh, but brings in a lot of different creators. So what I've been trying to do on a weekly basis is share something leadership driven with all of the chefs in our organization. So I'll, I'll send out an email and maybe it's a TED talk, maybe it's an article I've read, uh, maybe it's a snippet of a book or, you know, a video interview of somebody, but some, some sort of content. And I'll relay how it relates to me and how I feel like it relates to our sector of uh, dining or culinary services. And so I sent it out and I, I took the approach of, I'm just going to do this because uh, I think it's the right thing to do. And I'm in, like, again, I'm investing in my team and I'm sure some people aren't going to read it or pay attention, but if one or two gets it, I think that'll, that'll be, you know, worth it all in the end. And, you know, what I found is as I've been, you know, had the opportunity to continue to connect with our chefs and whether it be like over the phone or in person as I'm doing site visits, I've, I've asked them, I've said, you know, those, and, and it's, I can't even seem to get the question out before the responses keep, just keep sending them. So I think people are, are receiving it well. And additionally, and what I think is the coolest thing and what I'm excited to be like the next step of this chapter is they've started sending me content back through email and what it means to them. So I'm going to be able to then turn and send that back, which is what I'm most excited about. Like, first of all, there's only so many, so, so many emails and, and, and things I can send out. And I'm sure my perspective will get boring over a period of time. But to be able to say, 
Chef Matt in El Dorado Hills was talking about extreme ownership, you know, the book and, you know, maybe he'll submit an article and, and this is why it's important to him. And then maybe somebody um, else will see that or, you know, I have a regional that just sent me a, an article in this like long email about what he thinks the difference between management and leadership is and how it relates to our mission and values. And so I'm looking forward to sending that out at the end of the week. And, you know, I think just it's starting to create that like pay it forward aspect of it. So I think it'll do two things. One is it's going to give us additional content, which is great because I'm sure, you know, mine's starting to get redundant. But additionally, I think people will start seeing that other people are buying in and it's just going to create, you know, stronger leadership across our, our organization. That's really interesting. I appreciate you sharing that little bit of detail. Now I just want to shift to a component within senior living that I think has gained a lot of traction within the last five years, specifically talking about wellness. I know obviously you had participated in our Edition Wellness event with us, and uh, we thought that was something that was extremely valuable for our listeners and our audience. How do you look to incorporate lifestyle components like wellness into dining at Oakmont Communities? I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, it's, it's what people want now. You know, it's like the easiest way to say it. I think dining and senior living was always considered, you know, it was the necessary thing. You had to feed everybody, right? There's no fans or, but, or buts about that. We're literally keeping people alive through food. But now it's different. I think people obviously want better food. People want a better dining experience. You don't see a lot of cafeterias. You see a lot of restaurants in, in communities now, which is amazing. I mean, I love that as a chef coming from a restaurant background. I feel like I've been able to progress my career um, and do a lot that I didn't think I would be able to do, especially when I made a transition into uh, senior care. So I think especially with the incoming population, there's so much more of a focus on wellness. And so we've used that, you know, to our advantage during a lot of our marketing events. You know, we'll host smoothie bars or, you know, healthy bites, especially you know, when we're when we're opening a new community, a lot of our a lot of our marketing events are centered around wellness. Having somebody come in and speak, having somebody come in and do a you know a yoga class, and then having you know some smoothies or some healthy food. And why we recently did a smoothie event uh, for brain health, and in addition to having great tasting smoothies available and somebody to speak, we also you know were able to have different smoothies that contributed different things like a high coconut fat smoothie for brain health or, you know, a vitamin C laden smoothie for, you know, health, uh, like, you know, immune health. So, um, you know, ginger for digestion. So there's a lot of opportunity. I think not only do people want to see healthier foods, not so much fried foods. Um, everybody still loves their comfort food, but people still want to, you know, have those healthier options, but also the education piece. I think that new and existing residents alike, alike are very interested as to the benefits of it. They know they want to eat healthy food, but they're not exactly sure why or what healthy food is sometimes to some extent, it seems. So um, there's been great opportunity for that. And I think with the, the push to create these just more restaurant-style dining programs across the industry, it's given us opportunity to just put healthier options on the menus, on the all-day menus. You know, I think a, a thing that's hopefully becoming a thing of the past is the all-day menus just kind of being short order stuff. It's, uh, you know, a lot of fried options, easy stuff you can pull out of the freezer and or, or throw it on the grill. But seeing kind of the alternative menu have more healthy entree salads. You know, we currently have uh, three different types of healthy salad on the menu on our all-day menu. So, you know, there's in the autumn, we have one with quinoa and, you know, roasted butternut squash and a poached egg. So it's got, you know, healthy, healthy options. Uh, and those also 
buzzwords in the in food that kind of say health in kale quinoa things like that so definitely have seen the need for it from our from our incoming residents and then also from the the family members family members are obviously we're living a lot longer than we used to and we want to keep everybody as healthy as possible for as long as possible. So in addition to the residents wanting it, a lot of the family members are also, you know, either influencing parents' decision or or just wanting to see it and demanding it, which is great because we really need everybody to advocate for our seniors, no matter what stage they're in. Definitely. I think you kind of already led into my next question talking about trends uh, just within dining. Um, obviously, you touched on more healthy options at various times throughout the day. Do you just want to t- touch specifically on any other trends within dining that you're seeing at Oakmont Communities? Uh, any major shift in resident tastes, resident engagement? Would love to, to get more on that. Yeah, it seems like everybody, you know, everybody's on some fad diet to some extent now, right? Uh, ketogenic diet or, you know, you know, whatever it is. I think that we didn't see, you know, we haven't seen a lot of, I, I think when I got into the ind- senior living industry, there wasn't a whole lot of, there were some mild allergies, but not a lot of diets, not a lot of vegetarianism, not a lot of plant-based focus on diets. And I, we've seen a lot more of that not just residents that are vegetarian, but residents that just want more plant-based options and not just, you know, kind of being forced to have steamed vegetables, but more thought out options, which is in my mind, great. I think there's a lot of opportunity. You'd only make a steak taste so many different ways, but you know, there's a lot more ways I feel like and a way bigger spectrum of vegetables and fruits and grains that you can manipulate to taste a lot of different ways. So very excited about that. Additionally, a lot of gluten-free We've started seeing a lot more and more, uh, whether it be celiac, which is you know obviously great that we're identifying that more, but also gluten-free by preference, uh, people wanting to limit their carbohydrates. Uh, the Depression-era residents, the greatest generation, very meat and potatoes generation, very carb-heavy, um, and seeing a lot less you know reliance on carbohydrates, but more so wanting to wanting to have just good farm-to-table vegetables. So that's been that's been great. The other thing that we have been seeing a lot, I feel that's kind of been coming in a lot more is just allergies. Growing up, I was, I think, one of the last, uh, last generations to have peanut butter and jellies on the, on the school lunch menu. Uh, now they're all gone because the peanuts are such a high allergy. And like I said, when I first got into the industry, I didn't really see a whole lot of, of allergies, but we've been seeing a lot more, um, allergies. And I just, I think that's obviously just people. Allergies started becoming a lot more prevalent, uh, and you know uh, people are more aware of them as well. So, I don't know if you want to say a hurdle, but but a challenge because in addition to what our standards are, you know, trying to create uh, low sodium, heart healthy, diabetic friendly meals. Now we've got you know the gluten free in the mix, uh, the the extreme allergies in the mix. So those are kind of the big trends. And then you have uh, again, as I had mentioned, family members getting more and more involved. I think it's the the helicopter parenting now for uh, for seniors wanting wanting their parents on different types of diets, you know, more more wellness based diets. Like again, whether it's the plant based, uh, even had a family member that really wanted their parent on a ketogenic diet. So there's been a lot of you know just request, uh, not not always the most um, compliance by the resident of what their <laughs> adult child wants, but a lot more requests for some of those more fad diets as well. And are there any sort of trends that you were seeing when you entered the industry that are on their way out? I think that 
we're always going to want, I mean, myself included, we always want comfort food. But I think the, the like the protein in two sides style compartmentalized, you know, meat and potatoes, I think is, is on its way out. I think we're, we're seeing the greatest generation, you know, is very used to canned foods. You know, they, it seems like almost had a preference for canned green beans and you, you know, you'd cook them a perfect, perfectly cooked green bean and, you know, they'd send it back. So, um, I think that as those residents continue to, to move on and, and we get more of the baby boomer generation in seeing less of a, not just a reliance, but a desire to see those kind of more canned based products. Fruit cocktail, you know, is always very popular you know, 10 years ago, they wanted the fruit cocktail. And now it's, you know, we want, we want fresh fruit. So I think getting away from cans, canned items, and I think just that mentality of compartmentalized protein, starch, veg, and I don't want my food to touch is also kind of on its way out. And people are getting a little bit more adventurous, which is exciting for us chefs, obviously. Definitely. Yeah. It kind of gives you a, a template for a, a brave new world to be able to, to experiment just within within menus and, and just to see how resident tastes evolve. Just a question here on how residents either patterns have changed since the pandemic. Are people still eating in their rooms or have people mostly flocked back to the dining room at this point? Great question. And I think that was, it was, it was great to see how quickly people wanted to, you know, get back. I think that it seems like if you're going to run free room service for all your residents, you'd think a lot of them would want to stay in their rooms. And even when we were still offering the option of complimentary room service, we saw a pretty high rate of return to the dining room. And I think that obviously we wanted to do everything safe. We want to operate our dining program, but in a way that's not going to jeopardize our residents' health. But it was great to see the, not just the everybody wanting to return to, you know, the dining room and have normal dining, but like the benefits of that psychosocial interaction. That was one of the, I think, hardest things to watch, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic when, Everyone across the country was pretty much locked down. Uh, just seeing residents, you know, mental cognitive ability deteriorate quickly or their physical health decline quickly. And I truly believe it was just because they were, you know, forced to live, stay in their rooms and they're just watching TV and sitting in their chair and they're not getting up and around. So as of right now, you know, we've, we've reinstated, you know, all of our normal procedures when it comes to room service. I'd say a majority of our residents are back in the dining room. Any residents that aren't probably were residents that were going to be uh, ordering room service anyway um, or are unable to come down. But um, our dining rooms are bustling. And it's it was, it, was, it was a pleasant surprise. I thought that the residents were going to be a little bit more hesitant, especially having done nothing but sat in their rooms and watched the news for a year. Uh, you know, that would make anybody kind of nutty and scared. So I was, I was excited to see that. Um, and I, I think that the, the health benefits have shown as well, which is great. That's remarkable. I think too, that the way, the wave of people wanting to get back to social norms, just in terms of being able to, to mingle and, and to just feel connected again. I think that was something that I've heard from a lot of operators as something everyone was really looking forward to. So it's great to hear that is also reflected uh, within Oakmont communities. Now I would love to also kind of talk about this. Um, how do you look to involve residents within dining plans? We've heard about some communities uh, really focusing on things like farm to table or offering things like community gardens where they let residents choose what's going to be planted and then making meals out of those uh, for some special events and things like that. But uh, would love to know 
How do you look to involve residents in dining plans? As much as possible, really. I think that that's, you know, it's, it's their community. It's their, it's their restaurant. They should have a say in it, just as if a chef had an investor that was, you know, really adamant about having some style of food on the menu or something like that. You know, you, you're going to accommodate that. The residents, the way we like to run things is, you know, we, we always want to have as much resident um, involvement and engagement as possible. So we have a couple of different formats to, to get that. For one, just having the, the chef presence in the dining room, um, having them encouraged to go out, get to know the residents' table touch and, you know, kind of filter back their, their feedback that way, which is A, a great way to just build the relationships with the residents to just have a smoother relationship uh, between customer and and provider, but also it's a great way to garner uh, feedback from the residents as to what they want to see on the menu and what they liked and what they didn't like. And I think knowing that they like a certain style of food is going to encourage the chefs to then create more dishes or more menu items based around that. Um, additionally, for the anonymous residents, we do have comment cards available as well, so they can always contribute that way. And then you know we have our food committees where the residents can um, come together and you know kind of share their their feedback and what they'd like to see and you know I, I like I always encourage the chefs and I try to make those meetings collaborative and not you know not just not just an opportunity to complain but an opportunity to collaborate and really create the best dining experience possible I always tell residents if we don't hear anything we assume everything's fine so you know we need to know what you what you want what challenges you're having, what you'd like to see more of, what, you, what you'd like to see less of. Uh, sometimes we get those crazy ideas and we put something on the menu and it pans wow. oh, wonderfully. So, um, you know, we, we need to know if they're, if they're not enjoying something as well. We do have gardens at all of our communities. So um, the chefs in tandem with the residents plant those and maintain those. And those are great ways to incorporate some of those fresh fruits and vegetables into the, into the daily menu. And then I think education is always a big thing as well, whether we're doing an event at our community where we're doing a demonstration and we're, we're showing off an item or we're doing a happy hour. I was driving from, from Fresno up to, I live up near Sacramento in California, so doing a big four hour drive. And I stopped at one of our communities along the way to, to drop something off. And it was kind of the end of dinner service. And they had a big slab of pork belly on a, on a cutting board and they were slicing it up. And uh, pork belly is very popular now <laughs> in, in restaurants and bars. Uh, not, not something that our residents were very familiar with other than in the form of bacon. So I was very surprised to see it out on, on the cutting board. And I asked them, you know, are the residents going for that? And they're like, oh yeah, they love it. And so they, during happy hours, started running pork belly and the residents liked it. And then that's how they transitioned it into dinner. So another, again, it's a, it's an education piece. And I think in court, like introducing it through things like a cooking class, a happy hour, you can show them some of those more outrageous, you know, food items that taste really well that they may have never tried. I mean, I'm sure we had a, ton of 90 year old residents trying pork belly for the first time that night. And that's exciting to me, you know, and I just, I think that's so cool. But if you just came out with pork belly on your menu, I think, you know, they'd get the torches ready. So um, it's, it's really cool to see. And I think that with, as we have more and more baby boomers that are a little bit more adventurous to try new things, you know, they were the generation that was, you know, raised off Julia Childs and the Food Network. So they've, they're a little bit more adventurous, or they may have heard these words, but never really had the opportunity to try them. So through, through those networks, it's great to introduce them and see, at least make it a little bit more familiar. Uh, so we're not scaring everybody when they read it on the menu. 
Definitely. Well, that, that that sounds like a happy hour I'd love to be at. That sounds like a right. lot of fun. And now I'd just love to shift uh, one more time back to talking about operations. Um, I know we touched in the beginning a little bit about inflation and just the pressures that the supply chain is putting on on you guys. But I would love to get a, get some questions in about just expense pressures. Do you see any of these expense pressures improving or getting worse? And what factors are you basing that off of in terms of what's impacting your bottom line the most right now? Mm-hmm. So I think inflation is obviously a word we're all hearing a lot now. And, and it's a real word and it's a real problem. And I don't necessarily see it Hopefully it's not going to get much worse. I think we're going to see a pretty, pretty steady, you know, rate of in, inflation uh, climbing. I think, um, like I mentioned earlier on, building those open communication and strong relationships with our vendors so that we can actually know what our standard inflation rates are. Um, you know, we can look at the, the inflation on raw food. We can look at the inflation at a more uh, micro level on, you know, what, what specific types of chicken products what percent inflation, you know, are we experiencing there? Inflation on supply chain or uh, supplies as well. So that's been a really big fight this past year. That being said, you know, I think what's keeping those relationships opening so open so that we know how much we should be, you know, how much inflation we're really dealing with. Um, It's really easy to look at to say, to blame, you know, I mean, how many times have you been blamed? Has, has somebody blamed supply chain on something and you're, you kind of like, ah, like, well, I'm going to kind of call you on that one. So it's easy, you know, to, to deal with something like inflation and be like, like, okay, we'll just, we'll dig the pocketbook out and, you know, uh, pay what, pay whatever, because, it, you know, it's, it's inflation. But I think as, as operators and smart business owners and runners, you know, we need to, we need to be aware of, what the actual inflation rate is so that we can justify those overages. And then there's still a level of management, I think, of, yes, we're dealing with inflation, but how can we, how can we tighten the purse strings and, and still run a smart business uh, so that we can give the best experience to the residents and create the best environment for them? So I think that keeping a strong relationship with your vendors is key, not only so that you know where you're currently standing in real time with inflation. A lot of the big broadline distributors have great reports uh, that'll show you exactly, you know, month to month and year over year, um, you know, what we're looking at. Uh, and that's been pretty shocking uh, to look at the graph of like where we are this month versus this month last year. So building those relationships with your vendors, as well as building, you know, the relationship so that they can assist you in finding better usable options. In tandem with that, working with a GPO or group purchasing organization to maximize your savings, to maximize your your uh, you know your buybacks and your rebates, so that again, it, the more we can save, the more we can put back into the program. So that's that's been really huge. I'd love to say I'd like to see an end of of inflation, but a lot of the a lot of the things I've been reading, you know, definitely not through the end of this year. And I think we're still going to see these inflation, you know, rates into next year. So, you know, hopefully we're all able to just adjust our our business as we continue to move forward. I think one of the things we've done really well is, you know, challenge everybody to get really creative and build those relationships with their vendors and and try to come up with ways to you know, still operate a smart business, but not be taking things away from the residents. I know in the in the culinary department, we haven't had to had to cut anything, and in, in the quote unquote like interest of saving money, um, that never goes over well. Our residents pay a lot of money to live in our communities, and we want to we want to deliver the product that we've sold them on. 
But at the same time, there are ways to adjust the operation to, to be more modern with the times, especially now, I think, across the nation, if not world, uh, just dining has changed in a lot of ways. And people are looking for a different type of dining experience. And fortunately, some of that and those trends have aligned, you know, with ways to maximize our savings. So um, in answer to your question, I don't, I don't see an end, uh, unfortunately, but I think that I think if we can accept that, and I think if we all accept that, you know, these are these are the inflation rates that we're going to be dealing with, and there's a chance it could get worse. Then we then we can also adjust our thinking as we're not trying to wait out inflation, but how can we still run a smart business? How can we still run a competitive business? How can we still you know run an innovative business that's delivering the best quality product, but also in tandem with like kind of creating a relationship, a relationship, if you would, with inflation. Before we move away from that, what are some items that are most expensive this year? I'm kind of putting that most pressure on the bottom line when it comes specifically to dining menus or just just supply menus. I would love to know kind of what is putting that most pressure on this year compared to maybe, say, last year. Well, we had a really big run on poultry products because in addition to everything that we've already been over of like, like you know, supply chain and inflation and everything like that, there was a... Uh, like a, a pandemic with the birds as well. And so that was affecting egg production. Uh, they needed to, and I had a meeting with uh, somebody from Tyson and they had, to, they had to find a whole new rooster to kind of be able to phase out this virus that was affecting their birds. So there was a pretty high run on, on poultry and egg products. Also another like cooking oils went up quite a bit as well, uh, which is usually used in a lot of a lot of restaurants, whether it be for just cooking, but also filling your fryer, you know, things like that. And then supplies themselves. I think there was a large demand and there still is a large demand for disposable products. So disposables have, due to supply and demand, gone up quite a bit. And in, in addition, I think a lot of organizations or, or companies, providers of those products have had their own challenges over the years. So some companies have closed down, uh, which means you're either forced to find a new product or there's just, you know, there's that much less product out there. So poultry was a really good run this year. Um, and then disposables just continues to, to be one because there's just such a need, um, not just in senior living, but also in um, all restaurants across the world. And I know you touched on staffing a little bit at the top of our conversation. Is there anything you want to circle back on? I know you mentioned a lot about um, new recruitment strategies and being able to expand the reach uh, that Oakmont has and being able to find new prospective employees. Is there anything on staffing you'd like to, to add or, or bring back up just uh, before we wrap up? Yeah, I think that one of the biggest things we can do is understand our new team member. And it's not even the millennials anymore. It's the, I mean, you, you and myself are millennials, you know, it's the, the Gen Zers that are coming in. I think they're making up a, a, a I want to say, I, I, I saw a stat earlier today. I can't remember the number. I'm sorry, but they're making up a large section of the workforce, um, especially in our industry, you know, especially in, in the culinary service of senior living, there's you know, a lot of reliance on, you know, first time team members entering the workforce, students uh, for wait staff, and it's a position that they can hold under the age of 18. Um, and then culinary, it's a dish. There's a lot of entry level positions there. Uh, same thing with like care and activities. So I feel like it does attract a younger crowd. 
um, with that comes the Generation Z, and there's a different mentality there. And you know, I mentioned earlier on one of the biggest issues I have with the culinary world as a whole is the way that we operated for so long, and you know, it wasn't appropriate and it wasn't right. And I think that you know, the mentality then was, you know, you're barking orders and people did what you said. And there was never any question about it. And even like, even in, in any, any workforce, I think, you know, over the past 20, 30 years, there was some level of you do what you're told and you work hard and you go home and you don't need to necessarily enjoy what you're doing as long as you're providing. And now the workforce wants to be appreciated at work. They want to enjoy going to work. And, and those are great things. I think it's, again, I think it's amazing that people are enjoying, you know, what they do. And if they're not, they'll, they'll find something else to do. The reality of the situation is that is our workforce now. So, you know, it's still, I get into conversations with my colleagues and, you know, we always go down that rabbit hole where we're like, oh, well, like back in my day, you know, we did X, Y, and Z, you know, we just did what we were told and, you know, which is fine. But that's not how our team members want to be managed anymore. So I think one of the biggest things we can do, in addition to casting a wider net, cultivating leadership, cultivating opportunities for advancement in all our organizations, is making sure that we understand who we're managing on who we're leading and understand that we are the ones that need to adapt now. Because what's so great about the Gen Zers and the millennials is they just won't, they won't, they won't do it. They'll, they'll say, no, I'll just go get a job somewhere else. So if we want to uh, retain team members and if we want to attract team members, we need to adjust our style of management. And I think that's going to be great. I think that's going to be a huge win uh, for workers in any industry across the world. So I'm low-key excited about it. Definitely, definitely. And now uh, just one, one question about technology and then another just about uh, broad picture. I'd love to get your view on, on the one thing you might change about senior living dining. But before we get there, um, are there any technology-based uh, components that Oakmont is implementing to assist dining teams across communities? That could be new hardware um, to new software that uh, we've heard some, some communities are implementing new software in terms of scheduling and being able to be more flexible with staffing on that end. But are there any technology components that you're implementing right now that are, that are really having some success or things you'd like to mention? Absolutely, we are. And I think that everybody's dipping their toes in the tech water right now, which is great. Um, there's a lot of tools out there that I think are just going to help benefit the industry as well as, again, just the workforce in general. Uh, flexible scheduling, you mentioned that's, that's something that we're, we're exploring and moving towards. Uh, having the ability for like we work and where we live in a gig economy now you can't drive down the street without seeing an uber car or you know it's really easy to order uber eats so people want to be able to work on demand so trying to create obviously we need to staff our communities we need to make sure that our residents are being taken care of and receiving the service they they want but also um, along the way, finding a creative way to allow our team members to have a little bit of flexibility to go to that concert on the weekend or to, you know, go meet up with their friends um, and then have somebody be able to pick up that shift. And so we're looking at, there's a lot of great platforms out there. Um, we're making a transition out of that kind of as we speak. Additionally, uh, there's a lot of great procurement software out there. So we're currently, I work with uh, uh, procurement partners and that has been great. Not only just does it make it easier because it's a one-stop shop where you can punch out to all your vendors, uh, but when it comes to managing your budget and when it comes to just the organization being able to help 
help our team members manage their their budgets as well to keep an eye on there. And if the, if we can set parameters, if somebody makes a mistake, I had somebody try to order 111 cases of hamburger buns, so it got flagged to me. So that was a great save versus then getting 111 cases of hamburger buns delivered at their community. So that's, that's a cool piece of technology that, that also helps on the AP side to make sure that all the invoices are being captured so that you know we're running a smooth business. Um, that's definitely more behind the scenes, back office level. Some of the forward facing things that we've been doing is involving point of sale systems. So we work with a couple different point of sale solutions. So as you go to a restaurant, you're able to place an order. The server goes, they punch it into a computer and it sends it back to the kitchen. So that way we're not relying so much on paper tickets, which cuts down on First off, it saves time. Uh, second, it, it removes that human error of handwriting. And that way, everything's printed very clear. You can make something show up red. Uh, that also helps because then we can look at you know how much product was sold. We can see if a resident came down to the dining room, how much they ate. Um, also, residents can bill directly. So uh, kind of the old standard model of, of charging residents when they came in at the at the front desk and then buying a meal ticket or, you know, what have you, they're able to pay in the dining room table side. Um, so that that makes that a little bit more approachable. Um, and it's just kind of more standard with the times. And it makes their team members' lives a lot easier. They're able to order table side at a lot of the communities with the tablet. Um, so that's, that's new technology that I think we're going to start not only seeing more and more in senior living, but I've been seeing a lot more point of sale companies targeting senior living and building it out for the nuances of senior living. So that's a great example of, you know, demand driving innovation. And then I think the big thing that's out there now that everybody's, you know, kind of buzzing about and interested in is uh, automation and and robotics. You know, at, at the conference we attended, there was the the Sally salad bar robot, you know, that can make salads. I've seen those for pizzas. I was in an airport the other day and there was a ramen one. I thought that was really awesome. But And then just food service delivery and busing. There's a lot of robotic technology out there. I think it's really in its infancy stage. Um, that's something that we're working on currently piloting at a few of our communities. I don't think a robot's ever, and the goal is not to replace our team members. We want to create a certain experience in the dining room. Uh, we want to give a certain level of service. You know, you go to some restaurants and the, the robot comes right out and you take it right off the robot and then you're kind of like, what am I even doing here? It's a glorified vending machine. But at the same time, if we can create a way to utilize the this automation to make the lives of our team members a little easier. So running the food out to the dining room and then still having the servers take the food to the table. A, it's going to put them in the dining room more. So they're going to be able to give better customer service. They're not going to, there's less chance of workman's comp because you have these uh, robots carrying the foods. It's going to speed up service. Before working to set up a pilot, we were observing it at a community and it was like this, the servers were trying to keep up with the robots. So that hot food getting out of the kitchen to the table, which is such a high, you know, com- complaint across uh, the industry, it can, it can assist with that. And, and really, like I said, it's the infancy stage. Um, I think we're still kind of adapting to like, how can we utilize these and still give a great quality of service? But the one thing about technology, I mean, is the curve that it advances on. So I think the more and more senior livings or just restaurants that are using automation or robotics, the more and more that's going to seed money that's going to be put into it and development. And, you know, it'd be really interesting to see, you know, where we can get there. So I think that I'm excited to see if that helps with, like I said, our goal is not to replace our team members, but our goal is to make them a little, or their lives a little bit easier. If we can make their lives a little bit easier, you know, we should be able to have a little bit more retention. So 
you know, those are kind of the technology pieces we're looking at. But I think it's exciting that so many tech companies are targeting the senior living sector and developing not just for culinary, but, you know, for safety and health services and then all the back office stuff. So it's, it's a big industry. It's a leading industry and it's exciting to see technology. It seems like counterintuitive. You want to think senior living and technology because technology is for the kiddos. Uh, but it's really cool to see that uh, technology is becoming such a big part. Now, moving beyond technology and straight to magic, if you're able to change one thing about conventional senior living dining, um, take out your magic wand, uh, wave it around, what would you change and what would it be and why? It's a very good question. And I think it's it's a little bit more, uh, I want to see, if I could do anything, I want to see cross-organizational collaboration. You know, I think... Obviously, as a chef, I'll, I'll use a culinary example. You know, you need the the chefs out there like Thomas Keller of, you know, the French Laundry or Grant Ackett's of Alinea in Chicago to create these innovations that then everybody follows. Like, you know, a majority of restaurants aren't necessarily creating anything super, super new, but they're taking something that they saw and they're, that was innovative. And then they're, they're building their, their program or their restaurant or their concept around that. And I think that. I think that that all comes from collaboration. And I think that there's an old mentality, I think, in organizations of like, you know, that like, and granted, in technology, you need to make sure you're staying away from corporate espionage and things like that. But, you know, I think there's like a mentality of like, don't want anybody to know, you know, our secret of how we do it. I think culinary, a culinary operation can be so collaborative. So having opportunities like, you know, your conference, having opportunities um, through different assisted living associations to get to meet other culinary directors, vice presidents of culinary chefs in general, getting to talk to them, getting to build a network where, you know, we can chat on the phone while we're, we all drive around a lot. So we get to talk on the phone while we're driving and talk about like, hey, can I pick your brain on this idea? And I'm not worried about necessarily a, you know, a competitor stealing our food program. They probably have just a, just an excellent food program, um, that they're running as well. But maybe there's something that we could like build off of one another, other on. So I think I just would love to see a lot more cross organizational collaboration. And I think what's been so great, at least for the culinary aspect, is when I first got into senior living, any conferences I went to, I felt like I was the only chef there. And you're seeing more and more chefs show up, which means that as an industry, we're focusing a lot more on our dining programs, which is great. Um, so I'd like to see that magic continue too, um, because it's going to create more positions you know, for leaders uh, driving the disciplines. And it's going to give us that opportunity to collaborate. If we can do that, I think we're going to be able to move this industry in a completely different direction. And from the other you know, leaders of culinary in, our, in the senior housing, senior living industry, I think that everybody's really hungry, everybody's really competitive, and everybody's really driven. And I think if we can continue to push one another, we're going to create a completely different culinary operation, you know, in the next five or 10 years. I think it's going to be something really special. Definitely. Well, Andrew, thank you very much for joining me today on the Transform podcast. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. That does it for my episode of Transform. I would again like to mention the SHN Architecture and Design Awards. Submissions are currently open. Visit SeniorHousingNews.com for more information on how to enter. I'm Austin Montgomery for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.